Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you to search the Scriptures again with us as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. One of the great keys to Bible study is to realize that there is an underlying theme which unites every page of the Bible in a coherent story. From one end of the Bible to the other, although there are many writers involved, and they wrote over a period of some 1,500 years, there is a divine author at work, and there's a definite plan which unfolds as we proceed from the Old Testament to the New. That plan may be defined as the grand design which God is working out here on this planet, namely to produce peace on the earth in what is going to be the kingdom of God established at the return of Jesus Christ in power and glory. The kingdom of God is the great objective of the faith. It's the heart of the gospel as Jesus and Paul always preached it. Now, the gospel of the kingdom has to do with more than the death and resurrection of Jesus, although those facts, of course, are essential to the gospel. The kingdom of God is the great goal and objective of our Christian life. In the teaching of Jesus, nobody goes to heaven at death, as we so commonly hear said today. Rather, they are invited to enter and inherit the kingdom of God in the future via resurrection when Jesus returns to this earth. The great goal of biblical Christians is the resurrection from the dead, and that event is a community event. All the faithful of all the ages will join together in a grand celebration after they're resurrected from death and brought into the kingdom of God and immortalized then to be rulers with Jesus in the kingdom on the earth. The idea that individuals go to heaven at the moment they die unfortunately disturbs and confuses the biblical story. In the Bible, the objective is always the resurrection to occur at the future coming of Jesus. The intermediate state, so-called, is one of rest and sleep and unconsciousness. In the Bible, dead people sleep. In the place of all the dead, known as Hades or Sheol in the Hebrew Bible, they wait there in a state of suspension until the coming of Christ, when he will call them forth from their graves in order to take part in that great kingdom of the future. That fact is beautifully revealed for us in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, a classic passage on the resurrection. It says there that many of those who are sleeping in the dust of the ground will awake, some to the life of the age to come, and some to everlasting shame and contempt. You see there that the dead, just prior to their resurrection, are not disembodied souls descending from heaven to reunite with their bodies. No, they are genuine people, whole people, dead and asleep in the world of the dead, in the grave. Many of those who are sleeping in the dust of the ground, in the dusty ground, as the Hebrew says, many of those who are sleeping in that dust of the ground will awake some to the life of the age to come. And so resurrection is exactly like waking up in the morning, some have not observed that in 1 Corinthians 15, the word raised from the dead is the normal word for waking someone out of sleep. And so about 20 to 25 times in that chapter, Paul speaks of those people who are now dead as sleeping and waiting to be raised, as to say, wakened from the dead in order to take part in the resurrection of the dead at the future coming of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23, is a critically important verse it says that those who belong to Christ, the Christians, that is, will be raised from the dead 
at Christ's future coming. That's a most important hinge point in the Bible, a critically important fact which forces our minds ahead always to the second coming of Jesus and the glory of the resurrection to occur at that time. The idea that souls have already disappeared to heaven as fully conscious beings in order to enjoy the beatific vision in heaven is quite false to our New Testament documents as well as to the Hebrew Bible on which the New Testament is founded. The dead, in fact, are said to be sleeping multiple times throughout the Bible. Sleep is the condition of the dead. You can affirm that fact for yourself very easily by listening carefully to Jesus in John chapter 11. On that occasion, his friend Lazarus had died. Lazarus, said Jesus, is sleeping. Now, the disciples thought he was speaking of natural sleep there, but in John 11 verse 14, we learn that Jesus had said that Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is sleeping is equivalent to Lazarus is dead. But I'm going to wake him out of his sleep, said Jesus. Jesus, you see, believed in the Hebrew Bible, unlike so many of our contemporary denominations. Unfortunately, we have tried to mix post-biblical Greek philosophy and pagan notions about souls disappearing to the second realm, the kingdom of heaven, in heaven. We've confused that with the terminology of the Bible, which is always to the effect that the dead are now waiting in Hades, in the grave, pending the time of the resurrection at Christ's return. Check it out for yourself. You'll find that Jesus spoke of the dead Lazarus as asleep. He then proceeded to wake him from his sleep, wake him to resurrection from his sleep, and to call him out of the tomb. Lazarus, you see, had not been to heaven in that interval. He'd not been a disembodied soul in heaven. Nothing like that is found in your Bible. Would that we could return to the language of Jesus and the holistic view of man, seen by the Hebrew prophets throughout the Old Testament. Man is a holistic whole. When the whole man dies, the whole man will eventually be resurrected at the time of the return of Jesus. What a gloriously simple truth. How very confusing to divide man into a disembodied soul and a mortal body. Nothing could be more confusing to our Hebrew records than trying to foist upon it the pagan philosophical Greek notion of a soul surviving consciously at the moment of death. You will find no such teaching throughout the length and breadth of your Bible if you'll examine it carefully. I have a booklet on what happens when we die, a biblical view of death and resurrection. I'd be only too happy to send it to you. Just request it from us by using the telephone number to be given at the end of this program. This booklet on what happens when we die will give you the verses and the scriptural explanation which to any unprejudiced reader of the scripture will tell you that death is simply a state of unconsciousness pending the awakening of the dead at the future resurrection to occur when Jesus returns to establish his kingdom on the earth. God's scheme is not complex. We've made it complex by the introduction of alien notions by confusing the Greek world of philosophy with the pure Hebrew world of Jesus and the apostles and the prophets. May I suggest a way out of any possible confusion we may have fallen into in regard to the Christian future, which is so much a part of our New Testament revelation as well as the Old Testament, of course. The simple way out is to begin at the beginning and study the ministry of John the Baptist as he introduced the ministry of Jesus. Even the first century historian Josephus mentions the enormous influence exercised by John the Baptist. He speaks of the crowds who flocked to hear him preach 
and to be baptized by him. Josephus says that John taught men justice in regard to one another and piety towards God. If we're interested in those things, then we'll want to hear what John the Baptist has to say by way of introduction to the ministry of Jesus. And so we find John the Baptist in the wilderness of Judea, as to say in that uncultivated eastern frontier of Judah. The wilderness of Judea implies that area where cliffs and the western shore of the Dead Sea are to be found. In this wild and nearly treeless district, there were at the time of John very few cities. John then comes before the crowds and says, Repent, that's to say, change your life, change your mind, change the whole motivation, change the driving force of your life itself, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, the kingdom of heaven is the expression used only in the Gospel of Matthew. In Mark and Luke and other passages in the New Testament, we find the expression kingdom of God. Now, is there any difference at all between kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God? Well, obviously not. Absolutely no difference at all. In one gospel you'll find the expression kingdom of heaven, and in a parallel saying involving exactly the same words, we'll find the kingdom of God. So kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God alternate. Why then did Matthew use the expression kingdom of heaven? Well, it was Jewish custom to avoid the name God in some cases, and so kingdom of heaven simply did work for the expression kingdom of God. Rather like today, sometimes we'll speak of heaven instead of God. Now, the kingdom of heaven does not mean, positively does not mean, a kingdom in heaven. As every Jew who listened to John the Baptist knew, it was a kingdom that was destined to come one day from heaven and to be established on the earth. A divine kingdom, and therefore the kingdom of heaven. A kingdom coming from heaven, backed by God himself, and to be supervised and administered by Jesus as the chosen Messiah. Now that event takes us forward to the second coming of Jesus. Jesus administered no kingdom of God on the earth while he was here the first time. Since he's been at the right hand of the Father, he has administered no kingdom of God worldwide. We are waiting for the coming of the kingdom. And it was repentance in view of that coming kingdom which formed the content of John's sacred message there in the wilderness of Judea some 2,000 years ago. Now, in verse 1 of Matthew 3, we read that what John was doing was preaching. An unfortunate translation in our modern versions, the word actually means to herald, to bring a public announcement, to carry out the role of a public crier, a town crier, one who has been given an authoritative message from a superior and one who, so to speak, gets a trumpet and lifts up his voice with all authority to declare a divinely given message calling people to action in view of the stupendous future of God's judgment now placed before all of us. That's the heart and the essence of John the Baptist's message. Repent, reorientate your life to a new horizon in view of the great fact that the kingdom of heaven is going to be established on this earth. That message, it seems to us, is no less relevant in the 1990s than it was in the first century in Palestine. The plain fact is that that kingdom of heaven has not yet arrived. And while it has not yet arrived, the message announcing its future coming must go out right till the end of this age, which will see the beginning of that kingdom of God worldwide established by Jesus in Jerusalem. 
Now, what this most important passage of Scripture gives us in Matthew chapter 3 is a clear definition of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. As we read on in the message of John, we find in verse 7 that he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to him for baptism. The Sadducees, you know, were the aristocratic and priestly party in the first century. They were not too troubled by the domination of the Roman government. They looked for a happy status quo, and they didn't want to see the peace disturbed. The Pharisees, on the other hand, had imposed a whole lot of unwritten tradition as religion upon the ordinary people. Unfortunately, their idea of religion went far beyond much of what was written in the Old Testament, and therefore they were the opponents of Jesus as he tried to free them from those traditions which had made the Scriptures incomprehensible. So here then John commands the Pharisees and Sadducees to repent, and he certainly didn't mince his words. He called them a brood of vipers and asked them, Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And so the wrath to come, you see, is parallel with the coming of the kingdom. The kingdom is joy and peace for those who will be ready to enter it when it comes, and judgment for those who are not. Our time is running out for today. We invite you to request from us a book about the kingdom of God, its title is The Coming Kingdom of the Messiah, A Solution to the Riddle of the New Testament. In it we provide the biblical documentation for our basic thesis that the kingdom of God was the heart and center of everything that Jesus taught. Meanwhile, join us again as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.